As we just heard read to us in that scripture reading, in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus himself said that there would be some who would hear the word and they'd receive it with joy. They'd be all excited and enthusiastic and grateful and, and they'd receive it with joy. But then Jesus went on to say, but after a while, when the going got tough, and continuing to obey the word began to cause them some discomfort or to have to do something other than what they wanted to do or were tempted to do. These people would just rebel and reject and turn and walk away. They'd walk away distancing themselves as far as they possibly could from the Lord, from his truth, and from everything that went along with it. We see a good example of something like that in John chapter 6. If you turn over there, John chapter 6, we see an example of this. In verses 59 and following, it says this, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? It was a hard teaching for them. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? I want us to notice in that text those words that I kind of emphasized. These were not just people off the street. These were his disciples. These were people who were his followers. These were people who were learners. These were people who had listened to him teach and they had become his disciples, not just the folks off the street. And so Jesus teaches this lesson. They find it hard to understand. Jesus offended them. He said, does this offend you? He knew it did. In verse 66, look what it says. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. There's a good example of what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the sower. Jesus then goes on in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 to say that there would be others, just as Edison read to us, who would initially receive the word, but the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches, and as Mark would add, the desires for other things would enter in and it would cause this group of disciples to be unfruitful. Same idea as fallen away, useless to the master, just like the fig tree, no fruit. We could see examples of this were we to turn and look at Judas in Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10 or even the prodigal son in Luke 15 in verse 11. His desires in all these cases, whether it's Judas, Demas or the prodigal son, their desire for other things, for riches and all of these other things caused them to fit exactly what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. <laughs> but then... 
Then there are those Jesus mentioned in the verse that Edison didn't read in Matthew 13 and verse 23. Those like the Apostle Peter. You just gotta love Peter. I personally think sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. I really do. Matt said that when we were studying some years ago in the adult class. He's right. Uh, sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. And we're going to talk about Peter in a little bit different way this morning than what we typically do. I want us to kind of think about him in a different way. I want us to think about him this morning like this. As we've talked about those who, who walk away in Matthew 13, 20 through 22. Listen. If there was ever anybody who had multiple, powerful, seemingly totally legitimate excuses by today's standards to just up and turn and walk away from the Lord and the Lord's truth and the Lord's people, it was Peter. If ever there was anybody in the scriptures that seemed to have had a legitimate excuse by today's standards to walk away from the Lord and his truth and his people, it was definitely the Apostle Peter. First off, consider with me the fact that Peter, when I say that, Peter was continually, Peter was constantly being publicly rebuked and corrected. By his preacher, his teacher, his friend, and his rabbi, Jesus. You know why? Because that is precisely the example that Jesus Christ set. That is exactly and precisely what good and godly preachers and teachers and friends and rabbis that love others are charged with doing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at some examples of this. And I want you to think this morning, what would I do if I were Peter? What would I do if I were Peter in this particular situation? First off, and we're going to be spending most of our time in the Gospel of Matthew. First off, there's the whole walking on water thing in Matthew 14. Please turn there. We know the story. Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray, sends the disciples out. They're there all hours of the night, in the morning watch, between 3 and 6 a.m., they see Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. They've been toiling all night at the oars. They're tired. They're beat up. They didn't know if this was going to be the last night on earth for them. Terrible storm. And so Jesus comes walking to them on water. In verse 28 of Matthew, chapter 14, Jesus identifies himself in verse 27, and then verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord... If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Notice that, Jesus, notice that Peter did not say, Lord, if it's you, command us. Oh, no, 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 not Peter, boy. Peter had to be right in the lead. Command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And Peter, when Peter had come down out of the boat, notice he had to get down out of the boat. It was a fairly sizable boat, I would assume, for those days. He had to come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Now, I want us to think about that. 
When Peter goes under the water, first off, when Peter gets out of the boat, can't you just see some of the disciples being human beings say, oh, here goes loudmouth Peter again. Really? Showing us up again. Man, wouldn't I love to see him fall on his face. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? <laughs> right? Down he goes. He cries out and says, Lord, save me. And, and the Lord picks him up and the Lord says, Oh, you of little faith. Now, do you suppose there was anybody in that boat who didn't know who Jesus was talking to? No. Everybody in that boat knew exactly who Jesus was. Picks him up and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, that's pretty publicly embarrassing, wouldn't you think? Did Jesus try to cover up who he was talking about? Did he pull Peter up out of the water and put him in the boat and say, one of you needs to have more faith? No, he said it to Peter, you. That was kind of embarrassing, I'm sure. In Matthew chapter 16, turn there with me. Jesus is just... Asked who do men say that I am. Peter's made this wonderful confession. Jesus talked to him that things are going good. Okay, In verse 21 of Matthew 16, it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. You may be God, but this ain't happening to you. And the reason I say that is because Peter's just said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He just said that in verse 16. That was Peter. He knew he was talking to the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when the Christ, the Son of the living God says, going up to Jerusalem, going to be crucified, Peter took him aside and said, no, you ain't. Now look what Jesus says. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. His preacher, his teacher, said to him, called him Satan. What would you do if your preacher called you Satan? What did Peter do? Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter's getting right into this. Peter's scared, one of the other writers tells us, but Peter says, Lord, it's good, good for us to be here. This, this is a good thing for us. So just, it, it's good. I got an idea. Now, he didn't say that, but obviously, he said, let, let's, let us build three tabernacles for you. This is a good thing that we're here. Peter stepping out, trying to do the right thing. Verse 5, while he's still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Suddenly a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Did you catch that? 
Peter just got corrected by God. Peter's ready to do this good thing, and he just gets rebuked by God. This, Peter says, let us build three tabernacles. And what's God's message? God's message is, this isn't about everybody else. This is about my beloved son. He's the one you need to be focused on. How would you feel if you're Peter? About this time, I'm thinking, can't I do anything right? Corrected by God. What would you be? You're up here with, with James and John, the sons of thunder. You know how they are, right? Early in the Gospels. And so you're in front of them, and you've done this, and you've gotten rebuked by God. Would you be embarrassed? Would you be ashamed? Confused? We're just getting started. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter hears Jesus' teaching on humility and forgiveness. In the early part of chapter 18. And so in verse 21, after hearing about humility and forgiveness, Peter comes along and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, if you read the background of this passage, you will understand that seven times was pretty much the limit for the Jews. And Peter's got to be feeling pretty good about this. He understands. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? Yeah, I got, I got this Old Testament stuff down. I know what's going on. Seven times, right? <laughs> you know what happens next? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times. No, Peter, you got this wrong again. His preacher's correcting him again. His preacher, his teacher, his rabbi, his friend, correcting him again. No, Peter, that's not the way it is. I'm not up to seven times, but I tell you up to 70 times seven. And then, and then to drive the point home, Jesus doesn't just say to Peter, so you know, you need to go home and think about it. He tells him this long story about forgiveness and illustrates for him what it's all about. But the bottom line is, is he corrects Peter again. Now, it doesn't stop there. You remember what happened on that night in John 13. Would you turn there, please? John 13. This has been brought up in our Wednesday night summer series. But you will recall here in John chapter 13, as we read down through, and don't just, don't just skip over this just because we've heard about it some lately, but really focus. John 13, 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Remember, and I know you've all heard stories about this, I'm not going into a lot of detail, but these disciples had all had plenty of opportunity to go get the water and do each other's feet, right? They'd, they'd had the opportunity. They'd been there for a while, but none of them had done it. So why don't you picture yourself, that group of disciples. And you're sitting here with Jesus. And so Jesus... Gets up from the table. Does he have your attention when he gets up from the table? Takes off his outer garment, lays it aside, walks over and puts some water in a basin. Do you suppose the boys at this point are still talking about trivial stuff or do you think their eyes are on Christ? I'm guessing they're probably watching it. What is he doing? 
Then he gets down on his hands and knees, takes this basin of water, and he takes their sandals off, and he starts washing the first disciples. Do you suppose he had everybody's attention that if I got yours, I don't even have a basin. And so he's washing their feet. Now, you know the custom. You know what's supposed to be done when you come into a place. And if I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, what is he doing? I should have done this. Wouldn't you? If Jesus do, I should have done this. Man, I can't believe I didn't do this. So he comes to Peter. <laughs> do you suppose, as I said, Jesus, do you suppose you could have heard a pin drop in that room at that point as Jesus is scrubbing the, the fecal matter? out from between the toes of these guys who've walked through the streets of Jerusalem where they dumped their cisterns in the street and, and the animal dung and the camel dung. Do you suppose as Jesus is washing that out from between their toes that it was pretty quiet? I'm guessing it was. So it comes to Peter. Came to Simon Peter, verse 6, and Peter said to him, Lord... <laughs> Are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but after you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. It's not going to, you will never wash my feet. You suppose everybody in the room heard him? Peter, Peter was not known for being really quiet. Peter was not. Everybody in that room heard Peter say that. You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if, you, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Boom. Corrected again. In front of the whole congregation, the whole group. There was no doubt whatsoever to a man precisely who their preacher was correcting, rebuking, or talking about. You want to talk about embarrassing? You want to talk about a reason to run? You want to talk about, you know, see those Snickers commercials or whatever candy bar it is? Want to get away? I imagine Peter could have identified. Because all of his peer group knew exactly who Jesus was talking to and about. It wasn't a big secret. What would you do if you was Peter? Really, really, stop and think about it. Don't, just think about it. What would you do if you were Peter? What did Peter do? And then there was that incident as they headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane as recorded in Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, where Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Remember, they're all there. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night... Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. Did they all hear that? They all heard it. Turn to me to Luke 22. 
They all knew what Peter had said. They all knew what Peter had done. There was no secret here. We see it played out in Luke 22 and other places, but let us begin in Luke 22 with verse 54, where it says, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, another saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I'm not. After about an hour had passed, another confidently for him, saying, Surely this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, You'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. How'd you feel? Embarrassed? Ashamed? Defeated? Ashamed before all those others whom you'd made that claim? Because they all knew, every last one of them. Because you stood there, Peter, and you said, I, even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. It ain't 12 hours later. And everyone there knew. Then there's that story in John 18, 1 through 10. When Peter, listen, Peter was ready to face and fight, fight a full detachment of fully armed, battle-hardened Roman soldiers with just his and the one other sword that these untrained at war fishermen had amongst themselves, Peter was ready to, to die. I mean, you don't face a full group of these Roman soldiers with one sword as a fisherman and, and one other one's got one and they've only got two between them and, and he's ready to die for his Lord. Oh, what a brave man he is. What a great guy Peter is. He is just it. And his preacher, teacher, rabbi and friend looked at him. You know what he said in front of his friends and foes alike? Peter, put the sword back in his sheath. Peter, you got this all wrong. Peter was corrected again, this time not only in front of his friends, but in front of his foes. He's corrected again, publicly. And nobody there, nobody doesn't understand who God is talking to, who Jesus is talking to. But you know, we could go on and on. And let me just list a couple of others here. We don't have to turn to them. Remember that morning on the beach in John 21? Happens again twice. Here's Peter on the beach that morning. They're out fishing. Lord's on the beach. Peter and John recognize him. They go to shore, have breakfast with Jesus. Three times in front of all the disciples, his preacher, teacher, rabbi, and friend has to put Peter on the spot. He said, Peter, do you love me? When he says, Peter, do you love me? Did they all know he's talking about Peter? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I like you a whole bunch. Peter, God, Jesus says, do you love me? And in the Greek there, Peter says, you know I like you a whole bunch. <laughs> so finally Jesus comes down and says, do you like me a whole bunch? And Peter says, yeah, I do. That's kind of the way those words translate out. 
But he's put on the spot in front of all of them. And then, of course, walking down the beach later, Peter asked a question about John. And Jesus said, if I want him to stay alive until I come back, what's that to you? You follow me. So Peter, again, is kind of corrected. But it doesn't stop there. In Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, where the sheet comes down three times with the unclean animals, God has to correct Peter three more times. He has to be rebuked again. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, another preacher has to come in and correct Peter. Listen, turn to that passage. Don't listen, just turn there. Galatians 2. This time it ain't God doing it. It's one of his preaching peers, the Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 2. It says in verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Peter was wrong again. And Paul says, for the public record, forever and ever, here we are reading it 2,000 years later, there's no mistake in who he's talking to, was there? No, Peter blew it again. He says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he'd eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all. In the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the whole group, the whole congregating group, Paul says, I rebuked Peter to his face in front of everybody. Because he was wrong. He was compromising the truth. As I said earlier, if ever there was anyone who seemingly had a number of valid reasons to just up and turn and walk away from the Lord, to walk away from the Lord and His truth and His people when it came to being chastened, when it came to being challenged, when it came to being corrected, when it came to being rebuked publicly and everybody knew he was talking about, it was the Apostle Peter. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. So, here's the question. Why didn't Peter run? Bottom line of the whole lesson, why didn't Peter run away? Why didn't Peter just go? I mean, look at Peter. You could not correct him enough to cause him to quit. You could not confront him enough to convince him to leave. You could not challenge him enough to chase him out the door. When Peter was confronted with the truth, and he was a whole bunch, he repented. Didn't he? Is that what he did or not? That's exactly what he did. When Peter was confronted with the truth and he was challenged and rebuked and corrected in front of everybody... He repented. And you know what he did? He returned stronger for it. When he was corrected for his error, he accepted it, he learned, and he became a better Christian. Did God use Peter? You know why? Because when Peter was wrong, the truth was more important to him than his hurt feelings. And so, he became a better Christian. Because you see, Peter understood that every rebuke, hear me church, every challenge, 
every correction, every redirection, whether it was at the hands of his preacher and teacher and friend and rabbi Jesus, or whether it was at the hands of another preacher who was just simply preaching truth. It didn't matter where it came from, but if he was off course on the word of God, he understood that every correction, every rebuke, every challenge was nothing less than an absolutely necessary step on his continued journey up the straight and narrow path that leads to heaven. That's why Peter stayed. Are you with me? That's why Peter stayed. You couldn't tempt him enough, correct him enough, rebuke him enough, challenge him enough, embarrass him enough, or threaten him enough to push or to pull or to chase or to drag him away from the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and his church and his service. Do you know why? Because Peter was 100% committed to the Lord Jesus. Peter was a soldier. Go home and read your bulletin article. Peter understood what so many today sadly refuse to see, and in so doing, they wind up surrendering their souls to Satan. You know what he realized? He realized that Christianity wasn't about him and his feelings whatsoever, not in any way, shape, or form. Christianity was not about his feelings. It wasn't about getting his feelings hurt. Christianity instead is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes being a follower of Jesus means getting your feelings hurt. Peter did. Sometimes it means being corrected. Sometimes it means being challenged. Sometimes it means being confronted publicly with the black and white of God's word, or at least it did to Peter. But Peter understood it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why he stayed. Because Peter wasn't going to give up eternal life in his Lord Jesus Christ for nobody. There was nothing else on earth that was going to chase him away from Christ. He was not going to lose or surrender up something as priceless as his eternal soul over a few hard teachings or hurt feelings. It wasn't going to happen. He was going to learn and grow and repent and obey and keep on going forward every time he was challenged or rebuked. He was going to go outside and weep bitterly and get it out of his system. And when Jesus said, tell my disciples and Peter to meet me, Peter was going. He wasn't giving up on Christ for nothing. That's why he stayed. Note the words of John 6, verses 66 through 69. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Peter said, I ain't giving this up for anything. You could do whatever you want to do to Peter. You could say whatever you wanted to. You could, you could challenge, correct, convince, rebuke. You could do whatever you wanted. Peter won't leave in Christ. Let us all determine this morning, if you haven't already, to be a completely committed, self-sacrificial, it's not about me and my feelings, and it never will be soldier in the army of the Lord like the Apostle Peter. And if you've never joined that army by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, please come to the front and take care of that now as we stand and sing.